Thank you, Chong, for leading and for that prayer. All right. Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you here today. And for those of you that uh, were here on time, you may not know, it's raining outside. So um, often in the Bible, rain is associated with God's blessings. Now, I'm not sure people who, live in what, who lived in what is now Tulare Lake would agree with that, but for most of the time here in the valley, we consider rain a blessing from God, so we're glad to have that today. Hey, today we're going to look at a passage out of, um, called the High Priestly Prayer. It's in John chapter 17, but here's the reason I'm preaching this today. Last week, I preached a sermon that just talked about how we sometimes need to, need to make adaptations to learn to be uncomfortable in certain situations to be able to share the gospel with other people. But the week before that, I shared a message about how that we need to be careful that we don't do anything that's going to offend a brother or sister in Christ. And it, and it, it may sound like we're walking a tightrope now, that the Christian life is this thing like, okay, if I mess up here, I'm identifying with sinners and I'm, I'm leading everybody astray. If I go over here, I'm being so separated from everybody that I'm no good. So today I found, a, I found in the high priestly prayer of Jesus a, some verses that maybe will help us understand how to walk what might seem like a tightrope at some point. But as we get into it, let me ask the question. Do you hear the difference between what are you doing and what in the world are you doing? Can you guys hear the difference? Okay. Well, today we're going to ask about what in the world are you doing? All right. So uh, the high priestly prayer with Jesus. So it's in John chapter 17. If you don't uh, know that passage, it's right before Jesus. He's just had the last supper or his, the, the time he, he instituted the Holy Communion with his disciples. And he's left now and gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's just an hour or so before the people come to arrest him. So when he's praying this, it's maybe 10, 11 o'clock at night, and he's going to be on the cross the next morning. So he knows it's a serious prayer here. So we're picking up in the middle of that prayer. I encourage you sometime to go back and read all of John 17 to get that whole prayer in to see what Jesus said. But we're just looking at a few verses today. We're looking at verses 14 through 19. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words of Jesus. Father, I cannot imagine what it would have been like for him, being fully human as well as fully God, to, to know, to be able to talk with you when, when he knew it was about to happen. And Father, that at a time when most of us would be praying for ourselves, he's praying for us. And I thank you, Father. I thank you for that heart that Jesus had. And I pray, Father, as we listen to your word today, as we've sung our praises to you already, Father, we pray that our hearts might beat a little bit more along the lines of Jesus' heart, and we might become a little bit more like him to serve you better and to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as I look into this passage, I see three different relationships that Jesus' followers could have with the world. And Jesus says them very clearly in this passage. First, he says, 
we are not of the world. Now, you've probably heard that before. Um, so some of you may have even sometimes worn uh, not-of-this-world clothing. It was a, a very big uh, clothing line a, a while back. That, uh, or if you see it sometimes, the N-O-T-W on the stickers on the cars, I still see them once in a while. All right, so, uh, so that, that idea, we are not of this world, we hear it in the Bible a lot of different ways, but Jesus says very clearly to the Father, he is not of the world, and because he isn't of the world, we cannot be of the world either. That's the idea. Because if Jesus was of the world, then he would not have been able to accept the praises of the people as he, uh, then he would have been able to, sorry, he would have been able to accept the praises of the people as he rode into Jerusalem earlier that week. But he didn't accept their praises because he knew their praises would be turned into curses. And that he knew that he was not the worldly Messiah that the Jews were expecting. He had a deeper, more important plan to become the Savior of the world by giving his life on the cross for us. So Jesus told his disciples this a couple of chapters earlier in John. In John 15, 18 and 19, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. It always surprises me when I hear Christians talk about complaining about persecution or how unfair that is or, or that the world doesn't get us as Christians the way that we'd like them to. And I want to go, like, why are you surprised at this? What does that come? Jesus warned us about that. He said, the world hates, look how they treated me. And if you're trying to be like me, they're going to treat you the same way. Because you are not of the world, you are separate from, you are, you, you are not a part of this worldly order. You're something different. In fact, in the next chapter after this, Jesus stands before Pilate, the governor, and he says to him in John 18, 36, Jesus answered Pilate saying, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world, not of this realm. I kind of read between the lines of that. I hear Jesus saying to that, going, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, you'd need to be very afraid. Because I could call legions upon legions of angels down, and it would all be over. It'd be like, it'd be worse than Bambi versus Godzilla. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but if you don't laugh at the silly Felicia. All right. It just, I mean, it, but Jesus says, I'm not of this world. That's not who I am. My kingdom, my reign is different. When I think about this, I think about how, about how different it is. I think of this story. Now, I have no idea if this story is true, but it fits my, it was told to me as a true story. It fits my message, so I'm going to use it right now. But I grew up, for those of you who are younger, I grew up in the age when, when, um, when soldiers came back from Vietnam were spit upon, they were criticized, they were yelled at. And so I'm glad we live in a different sort of world now. So, but there was a missionary coming home from serving in the Middle East. And he was on a plane flight with a lot of soldiers returning back from their tour of duty. And he was very glad for them. And when they got back, because of the way there were people to meet them, had people shaking their hands, say, thank you for your service, all this kind of stuff. Being real nice to them, there was, there was a celebration and applause as they came off the plane. And so they were celebrating. These guys had been out there serving our country. Whether you agree with what they were doing or not, they were still doing the job they were called to do. They were doing something that, that our government at least felt was, was helping preserve our peace. And the missionary had no one there to meet him, 
but another former missionary who had retired who was there at the airport to pick him up. And as they gathered his luggage and his missionary friend was driving him to the place where he would be living now, he said, you know what, I I admit I'm I'm, I'm angry, I'm I'm frustrated. He said, why? And he said, well, I'm glad that these guys got their got their applause, that their people were thankful for them doing their job, and I'm glad they were able to do it. But for the past 30 years, I have been living in a place where I was risking my life every day, serving God, where, where I could have been killed at any moment. And there were times that I did go without some of the, the food that I needed and some of the things, that medical attention that I needed, and, and I understand that, and I, and I get it, but these guys were doing that for, for six months, for a year, and, and they got all this applause, and when I got back, I mean, they come home and they get all this celebration, and I just felt like I wanted something. His missionary friend looked at him and said, there's one thing you don't understand. You're not home yet. See, that's the difference kind of thing. We don't, we're not a part of this world anymore. Yes, we live in it. But Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. We, we don't live by the world's standards. We are not of this world we are different. All right, in fact, Hebrews eleven thirteen says it this way. Talking about all these great saints of, from the Old Testament. It said, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, the promises of God, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. In other words, they're saying, I didn't experience the blessing God says he's going to have, but I, I can see where I'm going to get it. He said, they, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Oh, I, sorry, I had a different, I am so sorry. I did not get that change to the, I was reading New American Standard, so use that one better, all right? Temporary residents on earth. Some translations say strangers and aliens. So um, I'm sorry, that's one, Hunter, there I did it. I, I compl- when we do that, all, all right, I apologize that I was using a different scripture up, uh, reading here. But let's talk now, let's move on to something else. Let's talk about just some ways, I'm going to meddle here for a little bit, but let's look at some ways that Christians sometimes tend to live like they are part of the world rather than knowing that they're not of the world. Uh, we'll meddle. We'll, let's get the big one right out the front. Let's talk about money. Money. Where are your money priorities? In other words, if, the, if, if I, as your pastor, were to go look at your checkbook, for those of you who are older, or your debit card or your, or, your, or your credit card statement and see where you're spending your money, would it look any different from your neighbor's? Would it look any different from the people who are of this world? Does your, the way you spend money say, I have a different set of priorities. There are things that are important to me because they're important to God. And a lot of times money is one of the places where we wind up falling, falling off, where we really do. All right, let's talk about another one. Here, let's, let's even get, how about taxes? How many of you really feeling your taxes are like, you know, I'm not sure if this is legal or not, but maybe it is, so I think I'll just try it this time and see. Or, you know what, I don't like how the government's spending this money, so I don't really give them that part of it, so I'm not going to report this income. We have to find all different ways we justify those kinds of things. Instead of looking at it and going, God, you've allowed us to live in a country where we have some kinds of freedom. And I know that freedom costs, and so I'm glad to pay. I pay my taxes as a way of honoring you for allowing me to live in this country. Not that this is the most blessed country anywhere, not that we're the ones doing it all right, but still, there are blessings of being here, and do we treat our taxes that way? And let's get to one that really gets to the heart of it at all. How about honesty? How honest are we? 
I believe as Christians we must have a fierce dedication to honesty at all part, all times, okay? Now, you know, I'm not talking about the classic thing of like, honey, does this dress make me look whatever, okay? Uh, I don't want to play into that sexist sort of thing. But I'll tell you, if my wife ever asked me anything like that, I would, I would respond first kindly, but second, I'd respond honestly. Now, my wife never asked me that question, okay? She, she, that, all right, but, but, um, but we always need to be completely committed to honesty. In fact, I'm going to do an experiment here. I've never done this before. All right, I'm not rich, but let's see what I have here. I got, okay, I got $2 right here, all right? I'm on $2, okay? That's, I know that's cheap, but it's, but it's still... This is not, I'm not turning, Donna, I'm not turning this into the church, okay? All right, so can anybody tell me the number one reason why Christians are to be totally truthful? Young people, anybody? Huh? It honors God? That's, that is a good reason, but it's not the main reason. But that's a good one, John, I like that. Okay, because God commands it. That's another good reason, Jeremy, but that's not the main reason. Felicia? Huh? It is the right thing to do, but why is it the right thing to do? You guys are getting all around it here, but there's one thing central. I know it's not really good teaching when I'm saying that's wrong, that's wrong. No, you're all right, but I'm looking for something deeper than this. The one I, you're having to read my mind here. Anybody else? Want to try one? Prayer? Oh, you know what? That's close. Enough. James, come here. I'll, that's close enough. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that one, all right? So there you go, James. It goes a little bit deeper than that, though. I'm paying up. There you go. My big spender pastor right there. Two bucks, okay? All right. So there you go. All right. Here's what I'm really looking for there, and James got the closest to it there, is that the reason we are called to be honest is because God is truth. Not God is just truthful. God is truth. He is the embodiment of truth. And we as believers are called to be like him. And if we as believers are called to be like God, when we are untruthful on any level, we are, in a sense, as James said, corrupting James, our tech guy, not James, the brother of Jesus. But still, you're right, James. All right, that, that whenever we are untruthful, we are corrupting the image of God in our life, of who we are. We're not being like him. We are tarnishing his image. And we approach ourselves that in every way we are called to be like him. Why should we be kind to everyone? Because Jesus is kindness. Because not only he is kind, but he is kindness. There go my notes again. All right. I'm going to start putting them on lead sheets or something, all right? I guess it could be like Joseph Smith and put them on gold tablets, and that way it wouldn't blow away then. But if you don't get that, don't worry about it, all right? And if any of our Mormon friends are watching, I was, that was not meant as criticism. Our Jesus is bigger than yours, but still. Um, but we're not going to get into that right now, okay? So when we tolerate the things that break God's heart, we are being of this world. We are to be like Jesus, all right? And so uh, there's so many other things we could go on, but I think you get the picture. And I want to encourage you to examine in your heart what you, where you are like the world, maybe. Where are the places that your life is not reflecting the image of God, of who Jesus is in you, reflecting the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? And if there's places where it's not, 
then you're being of the world, and Jesus has told us not to be of the world. But on the other hand, Jesus told us not to be out of the world either. He says that very clearly in this passage. It says here, it says, they are not of the world, just as, but he says, um, oh, here we go. I am praying that you, I am not praying that you take them out of the world. He said that very clearly. Don't take them out of the world. I've often said, if, if the Christian life were just about be, becoming, becoming a Christian, accepting Jesus as your Savior, which that is the big deal for us, and we're going to celebrate that with baptism later today, all right? Of people who have said, I yield my life to Jesus. If that was all there was to it, then the most kind thing God could do would be take us to heaven immediately after we become Christians. But he didn't. He says, I don't want them out of the world. I want them not to be of the world, but I don't want them to be out of the world. I don't want them to be totally separate from the world because if they're separate of the world, they can't do the mission that I have sent them to. And some Christians falter on the other side of saying, I'm not going to become like the world. I'm going to stay away from the world altogether. And I can think of times like that. We, listen, some of you that have been Christians for a long time have seen this kind of thing. My father-in-law, till the day he died, only saw one movie in a theater, Home Alone. And he still felt guilty about that, that he actually went to a movie theater because that's what the non-Christians do. They go to the heathen, go to, go to see movies. Now, he had a big DVD collection, you know, and said, you know, that's the old thing about a Baptist is somebody who complains about all the sex and violence in his, on his DVR. All right, that's, you know, we don't go, to, so we won't go to the movie theaters or things like that. But so he wouldn't do that. That was part of his way of staying out of the world. But it still happens nowadays. There are people that just want to get out of the world. The Pharisees had the same problem. I don't want to have anything that tarnishes me. There were Pharisees that were known as the bruised, bruised and bleeding Pharisees because if they were walking down the street and they saw a woman coming toward them, they would walk with their eyes closed so that they would not be tempted by the sin of looking at a woman and they were known as bruised and bleeding because they would trip over something and fall down or whatever. So there was that kind of thing. And God has not told us to be out of the world but a lot of Christians do, and there's a Christian culture out there that does try to get us out of the world. Now, I've collected a few things of what I think are like the most horrific examples of Christians trying to be out of the world. Now, I want to make a disclaimer. None of these by themselves are really evil. Well, there might be one or two exceptions, but, um, but like, for example, if you're a homeschooling family, I'm not saying you should never homeschool, Okay. But I am saying if you're homeschooling for the sole purpose of not engaging the world, then that might be a bad reason. Again, I'm not saying that any of these things by themselves are wrong. But I just want to show you a few examples. So let's look at a few of them here. All right, so here's one right here that I, these are actually real product, Christian products that you can buy. All right, so let's see, testaments. Now some of you probably use these. There's nothing wrong with them. But I know there are Christians out there that go like, I will not eat Altoids because... That sounds like some demonic name. I'm going to get Testaments, the mints blessed by God, all right? You can actually buy them. You go to Majesty right now online and buy Testaments and be more spiritual. By, no, obviously, I get it. Maybe it's a chance to, to do that, but, it, but it's, you know, pass the word. I don't want to go to that. Let's go to the next one right here. They get worse, all right? Christian poker chips. Yeah, you can actually get these, all right? In case you can't read those, don't gamble with eternity, Accept Jesus before you cash in your chips. Uh, call on the name of God. Um, so just a lot of things. All in for you. So you can actually get your Christian poker chips there anytime. So when you go out to go up to Chansey and, uh, and, and be involved there, you can actually witness by using your Christian poker chips. Again, 
not necessarily horrible by itself, but, you know, enough to make some of us cringe, okay? Let's try another one here. I got a few more up there. Let's see. All right, cross pops. I'm not going to eat, you know, evil candy. All right, this one troubles me. The cross is the central thing of our, of, of our faith. And so I'm just going to take the instrument of death of our Lord Jesus, and I just want to lick it all day. That just does not sound right, but that's cross pops so that you can get the. And listen, if you bought these for Halloween, I'm not saying you're wrong in doing it. Maybe it's a chance to witness. I don't know. But I'm just saying there's ample opportunity for Christians to be out of the world over and over again. All right, now they can really get worse. Ready? This is the next one. Wipe away sins, hands cleanse, hand cleanser. This is actually a product you can get. That, the picture of the bar soap is actually off of, a, off of eBay where you could buy it. It says reduces guilt by 98.9%. That's just heresy. That's just heresy. For all seven deadly sins. Kill sins on contact. No, it doesn't. I don't say things like this often, but that's a lie from the pit of hell right there. But I'm just saying, you, can, you see how silly it can be when Christians say, oh, I'm not going to do anything and be involved with non-Christians whatsoever. By the way, I can't even believe a Christian put this together. That's got to be somebody making fun of Christians. Let's do, uh, I got one or two more. I'll just help you remember this, all right? This one, the most horrible t-shirt I saw, you can find these online, the Bloodweiser t-shirt. The wise men knew his blood's for you. Okay, now we guys, our church has been known, we have people that wear some great t-shirts, all right? And if you have this in your closet, I'm just sorry. I just don't, that, that's, that's a great one right there. But maybe in your circumstances it is, but I'm just saying we, we have weird Christian products sometimes. This one, um, we got one more just Christian product here. This one also troubled me, the looking good for Jesus Christian makeup. I honestly can't believe this would be done by, by a believer anywhere. But it says, look your Sunday best, guaranteed to help you be worthy and get noticed by the King of Kings. The, it's called the Fix-It Kit, Redeem your, redemp, your Reputation and More. Looking good for Jesus. Okay. Now, I don't think any of you would ever bought that. Okay. Chong, you don't have this in your, at your vanity at home. All right. So, or whatever you call them now. So, guys. I, I know nobody knows you buy this stuff, but here's what I'm saying is, do you see how silly it can be when Christians try to say, I'm going to be separated from the world, I'm going to cocoon up. And we see it in other ways. Here's another way, that, okay, oh, did we skip some? Did we, I did, did we go, oh, there we go, that's what I want to see. This one, okay, there's a, this is one of an actual, a Christian pharmacy, okay? And I, I, I don't mind a Christian, a, a guy proclaiming he's Christian, but look at the bottom there. It says, we provide the medicines, God does the healing. And that may be true. But here's what I want to ask is, do you really need a Christian pharmacy? Now, if you've got a friend who's a Christian, you want to support that pharmacy, okay. But I think there's also a place for Christians that say, you know what? I want to go and make, make, uh, make friends with my pharmacist. I want to get to know my pharmacist. And I want to look for opportunities to invite this person to church or tell this person about Jesus or, or get to know them better. That's what I'm saying it might be a better thing for us to do. Did you hear me say don't support Christian businesses? No. I have a friend I meet at Cup of Joy every week, okay? And there's a little bit of me that feels guilty, like, should I be down at that evil Starbucks and witnessing to one of those godless baristas down there? I'm kidding, all right? But, you know, because Cup of Joy, they're all, you know, and I, I do wonder about that sometimes. So sometimes I do go to Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. That's my compromise, okay? 
to try to go meet some people there. But there's nothing wrong with, with supporting a Christian business unless you're supporting it for the thing of, I want to stay away from the non-Christians. Jesus said, I did not call you to be out of the world. And I could go on and on with examples here. I'm not going to do this, but I do want to show you something I thought was really bad. Here's something from our history, all right? <clears throat> Heathens keep moving. This is a Christian neighborhood. We would just be horrified by that now. But actually, about 20 years ago, go to the next slide. Let's see, I think online it looks this way, all right? That somebody tried to put together a Christian, neighbor, a Christian subdivision in Tennessee for only Christians. If, I can't read, if you can't read this, it's Covenant Boulevard and Arc Lane. And it was uh, this organization that was trying to do a Christian neighborhood, a gated neighborhood, so that your kids didn't have to play with the heathen kids. All right, that you could just be totally, you know, totally isolated from the world. You could drive into your gated neighborhood and not be bothered by non-Christians. Oh my goodness, church, if there are any of us that are living that kind of thing, then we're doing exactly what Jesus said not to do, not to be out of the world. He said, you cannot be out of the world. You're, you're, I've called you to do something greater and deeper than that. So even some otherwise good things, can become bad things if we use them to get out of the world. And something like Christian schools and homeschools, I'm not against any of those. But if that's just a way to hide, or if it's one of many things you're doing to stay separated from there, then don't do it. Christian clubs, okay? Christian clubs at school that are there just to, just to talk about how bad the rest of the school is, oh, man, I have no place for that. But Christian clubs are there to empower students to realize they're on a mission field. There's a place for that. But sadly, Christian clubs are what a lot of churches have become. I don't think it's our church, but I want to stay with this passage, okay? So church, do not hear me saying we're a bad church in this way. I, I hear all the time from you people how you're engaging your non-Christian family members and relatives and coworkers and things, and I bless you guys for that, and I'm so happy for what God is doing through the people in our church, not just here on Sunday morning, but the other 167 hours of the week out in the community but um, as, as, as we look at this um, well let's skip can we skip go ahead and skip to the video I don't have a video that I want to play for you to help you kind of realize the difference between a church that believes it is a club and the kind of church that believes it's on mission so can we get can we play the video Fresno Church is a battleship we can run it like a cruise ship but it was called to be a battleship that's what we're here for. Now, I'll hedge on that a little bit. We want to make it a cruise ship-like experience for our guests. It's not a bait and switch. For people who aren't part of our mission, we want to make this pleasant. So we have the coffee bar. It's why we have greeters. It's why we, we, try, to make, we try to make it a pleasant experience here. But we're really here on a mission. And I hear all the time people talking about, you know, I didn't like that church because I didn't like the captain. Or I didn't like the music they play, in the, they play in the ballroom. They weren't meeting my needs. That's not what we're here for. When we come in here on Sunday morning, if there is a member of our church who's hurting, we help them and we take care of them because they're part of our team. They're part of our army. And this place is not a place for you to come and hide out from the world for a couple of hours on Sunday morning. It's a place where we get our marching orders and where we get repaired and, and restocked to go out into the battle. That's what we're here for. 
We're here to learn how to engage the evil one, our enemy out there in the world. That's what our church is all about. And there's different things we can do. Yes, we can sometimes falter by being too worldly, and this world church should help us correct that. Or we, we, we can falter by being out of the world too much. But we need to remember, as that video said, that we are on a clear and noble mission. We're here to equip our crew members. And by the way, you guys are the crew members, not just the staff and the leaders. We're all part of the crew here. Learning how to, com to contribute in significant ways and how to grow. So let's talk about how we get out of the world as a church. We become out of the world when we get more concerned about our own comfort than on carrying out the message of Jesus. We become out of the world when we forget what it's like for a family or an individual who doesn't know Jesus. That those of us who've been Christians for a long time, we just think, you guys should all know this stuff. You should have your life together. And realize that most people don't. And most people don't have Jesus to help them through it, the witness of the Holy Spirit in their life. We become out of the world when our activities are more for fellowship than for outreach. And again, that's not us. We've had very few fellowship activities. Our, most of our activities are for outreach and ministry. And when our baptisms are more from our own kids than from non-Christian families. And I'm happy today. We've got a couple of our kids that are going to be baptized later. We've got a couple of people who didn't grow up in this church that are being baptized later. That's a sign of a healthy church right there. Let's go to our last part real quick. I'm, I'm, I want to hurry because we do have baptism today. We don't want to rush that. So we're not of the world, we're not out of the world, but Jesus has sent us into the world. And that's what he said at that last verse we read. Just as you have sent me into the world, he's saying to the Father, I have sent them into the world. This is what Jesus calls us for, is to go into the world and serve him. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said this, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's the job we all have. Not just those first apostles, but all of us. By the way, apostle, you know what that word means? It just means sent. We talk about the 12 apostles, they were sent. But guess what? In a certain sense, you're all apostles because you have been sent into the world. And then one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, Matthew 24, 14, says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. It's always been my dream one day that maybe one of our young people at this church will be on a mission trip somewhere. Maybe it's a mission trip with, with uh, medical missions somewhere overseas, or maybe it's a mission trip just to their high school or just a, a, an activity they go to, and they share the gospel with somebody. And when that happens, it's now reached the whole world. And the Father says to the Son, Jesus, get your horse. It's time to go back. The very last missionary could be in this room right now, being sent, because Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testament to all the nations, and then the end will come. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Because we've not finished our mission yet. That is truly what it's all about. We are called to be salt and light. I want to tell you two quick, two quick examples, and we'll close with some, some, um, some suggestions here. Does anybody know the name Rosari, uh, uh, Rosaria Butterfield? Does anybody know that name? 
Do you know who that? Yeah. Wow, you're the only one probably in the room. But she was a tenured professor of women's study at Syracuse University and a committed gay activist. In her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, she recounts her conversion to Jesus. And she says the key part of her conversion to Jesus was a local pastor and his wife in Syracuse who invited her to dinner, became friends, and over the course of seven years brought her to the point where she realized the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of her need for Jesus. They didn't come with her holding a sign, complaining about gay pride, fighting against anything. They just said, we are going to go into your world and we're going to invite you into ours and we will help you understand Jesus. In fact, she now lives a committed life to Jesus. She's a Christian author. She's, her husband's an, uh, uh, a pastor in North Carolina. How that happens, we want to change culture. We change it by reaching out to people, getting involved with them, getting messy with them. Do you think that pastor took criticism from his friends for inviting her in? Yes, he did. Probably less criticism she got from her friends from going to have dinner with the pastor. But still, they had to endure things. Did it get messy with them? Were they unsure sometimes what to say? Yes. But over seven years, the Holy Spirit led them to bring her to the point where she recognized her need for Jesus. I'll skip this other example. Let's just go to some ideas here, okay? Here's some ideas on how to get into the world. One, you could prayer walk your neighborhood. There are many of you that, that take walks, prayer walk your neighborhood. In fact, I've heard some of the people in the church talk about having, um, have, you know, meeting people and prayer walking as they were talking. So just prayer walk your neighborhood. Another one, invite non-Christian friends to dinner, just as the pastor did with uh, Ms. Butterfield. You can hold a block party. I've known churches that at Halloween decided to just have the, the uh, a block party in their, in their neighborhood and just be able to engage their neighbors, get to know them better. Halloween's probably the only time many of you will see your neighbors, okay? If you live in an area where people have garage, you know, garage automatic doors and things like that. And so that became a chance to do that. Join a club or take a class to meet unchurched people. I've talked about that before. So whatever it might take, and as you know, I've done some weird classes to be a part, to meet non-Christians. Minister people at work or at school. Remember, you're going into your mission field every time you go to school, every time you go to work. Most of you, your schools and your, and your work are closed off to people like me, the pastor, but they're open to you. And engage people in spiritual conversations. Remember, you don't have to, it's not about getting a notch in your Bible. It's not about how many people you lead to the Lord. It's about being a faithful witness and being willing to engage people in spiritual conversations. And maybe they aren't ready for that conversation to go, to go about Jesus. Maybe it needs to talk about spiritual things in general first. And it may take several months or longer for them to really be comfortable talking about Jesus. But that's what it means going into the world. There's an author, Robert Lewis, who wrote a book called The Church of Irresistible Influence. I put a picture of it up there for you. So you can see, I, I want to hear what, hear what he says in this. He says, if your church closed its doors this afternoon, would the community feel sad? Would it feel a sense of loss? Think about that. Just, just think for a minute. If we walked out the doors this afternoon and we locked the doors and we never opened them again, would our community around here, even, would, they, would they feel sad? Would they feel like they've lost something? 
Or worse yet, he asked this question, would it even notice? Would it even notice? I think a lot of our community would, but that's a sign of a church that's gone into the world. When something happens, they feel like they have lost something if that Christian witness dies. That's the church I want us to be. When you call a new pastor, hopefully that will be within a few months here, hopefully, that I want you to be this. We're looking for a pastor that will help us continue to be that kind of church and be a better example of that kind of church, to be a church that says we are going to go into the world and we're going to get messy. We're going to make mistakes, but we are going to make a difference because that is what Jesus has called us to do. So I ask you today, first, is there a worldly contamination in your life that you need to forsake? Is there something that you've let the world creep into your life and you need to get rid of it? Maybe. Why don't you consider that? Second, are you isolating yourself from the world? Because it's a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. So be careful not to isolate yourself. And third, pray that we as a church will continue to make Jesus known wherever we go. Consider today why God has sent you into this world and how you are to respond as an individual and how we are to respond as a church. Let's pray.